I'm Georgie. And I'm Michaela. And we're here to tell you about the University of Aberdeen. In each episode, we will discuss frequently asked questions about topics such as applications, go abroad, student life, sports and societies, budgeting for uni, and life in Aberdeen. We will be speaking to current Aberdeen students, those who really know what it's like to study and live here. And we'll be getting exclusive tips from members of our amazing staff. Join us for this episode of Ask Aberdeen. Hi and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Aberdeen. My name's Georgie and today we'll be talking about tips for preparing your application and your personal statement. Uh, so I'm pleased to be joined by Jerry, who's one of our admissions selectors. Hi guys. And Anna, who works in our um, access and articulation team. Hi everyone. So I think we're going to start with the very beginning um, for students who are looking to apply to university and something they've probably heard of is UCAS. Um, so Anna, can you tell us a little bit about what is UCAS and how does it work for students? Sure. So UCAS is the university and college's admission system and basically um, it's kind of a one-stop shop if you like for applying to uni in the UK. So you don't need to send off individual applications to each institution, like standalone ones. You do one application and it all goes through the UCAS um, system. That's also where you receive any offers or any decisions from universities as well and where you can reply to any offers you get. So if you want to accept them or decline them, it's all done through the UCAS system. Brilliant. That's really helpful. Um, so for students who are doing it, generally they're at school, right? So they're kind of doing it through their school and there'll be lots of support from the school as well. So we will talk about that a bit as we go through and who you can turn to for help. Um, so UCAS, uh, for students who are listening, if you're starting with us or starting at any university in September 2022, so you're in your kind of final year now or going into your final year of your studies, um, so maybe that's S6 or maybe that's your last year of your A-levels, um, UCAS for you opens on the 7th of September um, in 2021, so it's almost a full year ahead of when you start. Um, if you are applying for um, medicine or educate, uh, sorry, medicine or um, veterinary medicine or dentistry or things like that, um, Anna, can you just tell us how that's slightly different for the deadlines and how it closes? Yeah, so for these subjects, you need to be aware that the deadline is the 15th of October. So you've kind of got a six week window um, in between when the UCAS system opens to when you actually have to submit. So for anyone for medicine, uh, dentistry, vet med, or if you're thinking about applying to Oxford, Cambridge or any of the conservatoires, just keep that in mind. And it's worth telling whoever it is in your school or college um, who deals with UCAS that you want to apply for one of those subjects just because it's a good few months before the main deadline. Yeah, definitely. They need to be more prepared, I think, if you're applying for those degrees. You need to start your research a little bit earlier and kind of have your application ready to go when it opens. Um, and for everyone else, as Anna said, the deadline's slightly later. So it's the 26th of January uh, 2022 will be the next UCAS deadline. So you have got a little bit longer, but many of your schools will encourage you to have done your applications before Christmas. Um, and this is just so that they can support you when you're doing that and you're not on your own over the Christmas period trying to finish your UCAS application. Um, so that's the kind of key dates. The other key thing just to um, explain to students is that most people will put in five applications. So that's the maximum that you can put in. You can just put in one or two, um, but it's best to kind of optimize all your options. Um, and UCAS do charge a fee of £26.50 um, this year to do that. Um, so it's not a huge amount, but it's just worth knowing that you do have to pay that to UCAS. Um, 
So I mentioned about the five applications. Anna, I'm going to come to you again just briefly about, again, for medicine. Again, how is that slightly different for medicine students with their five choices? Yeah, sure. So for students who are looking to apply for medicine, only four of those five choices can be a medical degree. Um, so it's up to you what you want to do. If you want to put four for medicine and one backup, you can do that. Or you can just put four medicine choices if you really don't want to have a backup. But we do normally suggest having a backup option. And it's entirely up to you what that backup may be. But some popular options are things like biomedical sciences, life sciences, sometimes another healthcare profession as well. But just be aware if your backup is also a competitive course, that you might want to discuss that with the institution of your backup choice as well. But for all other degree subjects, you can put in five applications um, for the same degree subject if you want to. Yeah, very good advice. I think we speak to lots of medicine students who want to put in five medicine applications to kind of maximise their choices. Um, but really, it's UCAS kind of helping you and saying medicine's very competitive and it's always worth just considering what your alternative option might be. Um, Sometimes people as well, they'll say about doing, so they might not get into medicine. Um, it happens to the best of the applicants. Um, and they would then look at doing, say you mentioned biomedical. How could they then go back to medicine? Like what's the kind of route then for them? Yeah, so if you decide you want to take up your backup choice, um, then you could do, say, three or four years, however long that degree is, um, and apply to medicine in your final year. Um, so if you're in Scotland, usually your fourth year of studies, we'd be looking for you to have an honours degree to then apply to medicine as a graduate. Um, some universities now have started doing specific graduate entry medicine programmes as well. Um, and more and more new programmes are coming on board. So it's certainly a popular option. I would say about a quarter to a third of our medical students at Aberdeen are graduates. So they've done another degree before coming into the medicine programme. So it's certainly a popular option. Yeah, Jerry, did you want to add something? So I was just going to say that there's a more uh, sort of general point, which is along the same lines. So if you have five choices, then you should not just put down the five best places that you can find for whatever degree it is that you want to do. But you should be a little bit mindful about having, you know, sort of first choices and backup choices and maybe, you know, be aware of what the entry requirements for each of the degrees is so that you won't be disappointed if you don't make um, one of your options and hopefully some of your other options will still be live not just for medicine but for any any degree you're applying to yeah definitely um, so I think what you mean there Jerry as well is having like the higher grade requirements for maybe your first choice but having a backup university that's got lower grade entries so that if you don't get what you you wanted you're still got a, a backup choice um, yeah very good advice so I'll come to you again Jerry about personal statements so this is another aspect of the UCAS application what is a personal statement? What what is that for someone? Yeah, so I guess it's the aspect of the of the of the application that students or applicants like the least because they don't really know what it is that they're supposed to put in. So what they've got is a, an option. I mean, the the simple answer is that it's a part of the application form where you get a chance to to tell the universities why it is you want to study that what you're applying for and what it is that you bring to that uh, degree and to the institution in terms of your character traits, your experiences, your skills, your past academic achievements and so on. Um, so that's, that's what it is in general. It's sort of like it, it allows you to tell us why you think you'd be a good fit for that degree program or that area of study. 
And something else we're always asked, um, which Jerry can vouch is true, is do we read personal statements, Jerry, or do we just ask them to write them? <laughs> so, so I always think it's really interesting that people ask this question because there isn't a grain of truth in in the question. I mean, questions aren't true, but anyway, the, the basic, I wonder if what people are getting at when they ask that question is, well, look, if I can get in just by getting the grades, what does this extra bit, which is quite stressful to write because I don't really know what it is that you're you're asking me to say, what 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 role does it play in the in the admissions process? Um, and it is true that if you get really good grades, grades that are above the entry requirements, then you will get in. And then obviously, in a way, what's in the personal statement, unless it's awful, isn't going to you know adversely affect your application. But the personal statement, the best thing to do is to think about when we when we do we, we do read them all. Uh, and we never reject a candidate without having read the entire uh, application, including the personal statement and the references. Um, but it, it's a really important part of the application if you're applying for a competitive degree, where there's more places than there are. Uh, so there's more students that have the grades and there are places available. Uh, it's also really useful if you want to sort of contextualize or explain any aspect of your academic performance. And then you can use that. You can explain a little bit in your personal statement and maybe also ask your referee to address that issue. Um, it also is very useful if uh, when results day comes and it turns out that actually we have more places than we thought we would have. Um, so we might actually go slightly below our entry requirements, but then we have to choose who do we let in. And again, um, if we have a lot of people around the same area academically, we'll look at the personal statement. So it, it plays a multitude of different roles. Um, but I think the most important thing, and maybe you'll come on to ask me a bit more later on about like what, what people should put in it. Um, but the most important thing is that it's not a CV. Right. And it's not you don't have to sort of present some idealized version of yourself. And I'll, I'll say a bit more later on about what I think it's for. And hopefully that will help people to understand what it is that they're supposed to put in it. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's, if people have we're asked that as well, if I have the grades, will I get in? And kind of overall, pretty much if you have the good grades for certain degrees, obviously, as the more competitive ones, you'll need more. And that is where your personal statement comes in. Um, so I think both Anna and Jerry, you can both comment on this, is what should they then put in a personal statement? You know, what are the key points that they should cover? Um, Anna, do you want to give some suggestions? And I'll come back to you, Jerry. Yeah, sure. Um, it can differ depending on what course you're applying for. So thinking about those particularly competitive subjects, so at Aberdeen, things like medicine, primary education, law, we get lots and lots of applications for those subjects. And really it is a about making you kind of stand out from the crowd. You know, we get lots of applicants all with similar, really, really good grades, but how do we possibly decide who we make an offer to? So I think in, in your personal statement, re you really want to tailor it to you as an individual. So thinking about kind of the key skills and attributes that might be required to do that course and how you may possess those. Um, I'd always recommend giving examples as well, rather than just kind of making, you know, points that aren't backed up in, by any evidence. So, for instance, if you want to do medicine and you really want to work with people, could you give an example from maybe a part time job or your work experience where you've actually developed those skills? Um, also, in your personal statement, you might want to reflect on kind of your future career as well, although we totally understand that most people applying for university won't exactly know where they're going to end up in 10, 20 years. 
Um, but if you do have an inkling towards a particular career, then you might want to reflect on that as well and how that university degree might help you um, get to that career destination ultimately. Thanks, Anna. And Jerry, do you have any suggestions of what students should include? Yeah, so it's it's also first of all it's quite reassuring that that Anna and I are on the same page. So I think I would agree with everything that she she just said, uh, and also that not only is everything she just said true, it also sort of gets to the nub of the issue. So the personal statement is about first of all, foremost, is about you, not about the this about us or about the degree. And because everybody's different, they're going to say slightly different things in the personal statement. So they don't have to stress about, oh, there's a right set of information I have to put in and I, and I might make a mistake. Um, when I think about a personal statement, I, I sort of think of it in terms of I'm looking for three things. So my overall question I'm asking myself as a selector is, uh, will this person do well or flourish if they come here? Um, and there's also different ways to, to, to do well, right? So it's not like, are they the best academically? It's just like, are they a good fit? Uh, and to answer that question, I want to know why do they want to study the degree they're applying for? I want to know what they bring to the degree and to the university in terms of themselves, their character traits and their experiences. And I also want to know a little bit about what they expect to get out of it. In terms of, uh, and this backs up exactly what Anna said about evidence, using examples to evidence. So you're not listing all the things that you've done. It's not a CV and it's not an argument either, trying to argue me into saying, yeah, okay, fine, you can come. Rather, it's you sort of thinking, well, look, given what I'm good at and what I like, um, you know, what, what, what about those things show that I'm going to do well? And if you're ever talking about things that you've done, they should demonstrate some of those characteristics uh, that you have. So in terms of uh, why are you studying what you study, um, what I want to see is that you actually know what you'll be studying uh, in the first year of your degree demonstrate it by by showing me that you know well I know I'm going to study this in first year and I'm really excited about that because blah 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 um, and in terms of uh, what you bring uh, again like I said you've got to think about yourself uh, and everybody's different so you can talk about you know character traits or experiences that think will, that you think will serve you well and then talk about examples that demonstrate those character traits and those and talk about those experience and explain why those experiences are relevant for a selector to to understand and then last but not least like Anna said we're not expecting you to know where you're going to be in 10 years time but students are, and applicants are so focused on getting in that they don't think about what happens when they actually arrive um, but a good sign of somebody doing well is that they know why they're coming and they know what they want to get out of it. Brilliant thanks Jerry. I think as well something we always advise to students is your examples don't have to be something mind-blowing and amazing they can be something that you've just done in school or something you volunteer for, it really is telling us about you. We know nothing about you from just your name and your UCAS number. So we want to know more about you and we want to know that you volunteer at a local church group or scouts or guides or that you are part of the hockey team and that's taught you teamwork. Things like that is is the sort of examples I think we're looking for. So as I say, it doesn't have to be kind of something unusual or something really impressive to show us that you have those skills. Yeah, totally agree with you, Georgie. A big part of my job is supporting school pupils who are thinking about going into the professions, so things like medicine. And I've had a few students ask me things like, oh, um, you know, I work part time in a chip shop, but I'm not going to put that on my personal statement because it's of no relevance to medicine. I would say that's absolute nonsense. When you kind of break it down, 
working in a potentially you know stressful environment in a customer facing role especially you know if you're still at school and you're trying to balance your time as well between your schoolwork homework and working part-time then that is absolutely relevant to going on and becoming a doctor working in quite a high pressured environment you know potentially dealing with difficult situations difficult patients family so if you can try and kind of take a step back and think really about those skills that you've developed and how they'll be um, worthwhile for you whilst you're at university yeah so just to come in on that as well so again i completely agree with anna and uh, um but sometimes i think that applicants when they try and work out what's relevant and irrelevant they don't they don't know because they don't already teach in it in a medical school or they don't they're not an admissions selector so to find out whether or not what you do is relevant or to get some help with that i would really encourage people to read prospectuses look at the university websites uh, go to open days ask people uh, and ask more than one person don't just take one person's word for it and listen to a few different people that you trust whether it's at open days talking to university staff admissions staff um, via email you're more than welcome to contact us and ask us questions and we'll answer you uh, directly and individually if you want um, look at UCAS resources and other resources available online uh, talk to your guidance teachers etc etc so listen to you know five or six different people tell you what they think you need to talk about in your personal statement and then make the decision yourself and as Anna says it's about you and your skills and your experiences um, and it doesn't matter whether that was in some highfalutin internship or uh, working in a part-time job that you need to have anyway because you need to to, to make the money yeah I was going to say exactly the same it's ask sometimes people around you because they might identify something you do that you haven't realized or a skill that you have that they haven't that you don't automatically recognize it but they see about you so definitely so on the other side of it and Jerry I'm sure you've got some funny examples of this one that you may not think off the top of your head but cliches and things to avoid in a personal statement what do we not not want to see so so, so this could be a this could be a podcast all all in itself um but I think you know I hope as an admissions selector, I'm empathetic to the to, to, to the applicant because I think it must be so overwhelming nowadays, like seeing all these huge amount of choices and then having a blank page in front of you where we say, tell us about you. And they just don't know where to start. And oftentimes, as with my students, when they do arrive, just to get going, they'll write something down at the beginning. Just, you know, since the beginning of time, people have been applying to university or some, you know, some whatever to get going. So... Uh, my my biggest piece of advice, and I'll, I'll talk about some cliches in a minute, but my biggest piece of advice is don't leave the personal statement to the end, right? Don't go through all the other processes and then finish off the personal statement. And, and when I say that, applicants always look at me funny, but I think you should start with your personal statement because that forces you to think about what you like and what you're good at and how you might fit into the, to the world of university and work and so on. And then that once you've thought about that, that helps you think about which degrees might be a good fit for you. So you might start off thinking, oh, I really want to be a lawyer. And then you think about what you're good at and what you like, and you realize mm, maybe I don't like that as that wouldn't be as good for me as I, as I, it sounds good, but maybe it's not for me. But in terms of cliches, like I said, and Anna's already said this, A, it's you don't, you're not showing off, right? It's not a list of all the amazing things that you've done. So don't just list loads and loads of stuff. Uh, especially don't list loads and loads of stuff for no apparent reason other than just to show that you've done all these things. Um, B, 
when you're talking about something, make it very clear why that's relevant to the issue at hand, which is why you think you would do well at university if you did get an offer of a place. Uh, and C, I mean, this is a related point, don't just tell me things, and especially don't tell me vague things like, oh, I'm really passionate about this subject, or um, I'd really love to be a lawyer. And I'm going, okay, great, that's great, but that's not any good reason for me to let you do a law degree. But if you say, if you show me you're passionate by, for example, telling me that you're really into some podcast on law and the legal profession and they talk about this particular thing and you're really interested in that thing because and then you explain it in a little bit then immediately i can i can actually see that you're passionate rather than you telling me that you've shown me it in a way that shows me that you're also you've already a little bit knowledgeable about what it is that you'll actually be studying when you come yeah very good advice um anna did you want to add to that yeah totally agree with everything that jerry said um Another thing I tend to suggest that people avoid is any kind of long quotes. Um, you know, you've only got 4,000 characters, is it? So I think it's kind of a page of A4 and Word once you type it up, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually not when you come to do it. So get rid of those, you know, make it your own words. You're far better to use that space to reflect on something that you've actually done. Um, Another thing I would avoid, just kind of similar to what Jenny said as well, you know, avoid making statements and not properly evidence them or avoid exaggeration as well. I'll tell you a funny example, actually, from um, a medicine interview. I'll change some of the details of it. But um, I remember one year um, a student came through the interview process um, and had written in their personal statement that, you know, they're a keen saxophonist and they do performances regularly, I think every week or something, they said. Um, and the selector that we had on that day was also um, a saxophone player. And he looked to the personal statement and said, oh, that's really good. You know, what grade do you play? And the candidate was just like, what? And actually... It, they dug a little deeper and he does do performances to his mum and dad in the living room. So not in, you know, the music hall or something like that. And actually, if that student had just said, you know, I'm learning a new instrument, then that would have been really good. But because they kind of over-egged it, just be mindful of who might be reading that um, and just be honest. Make sure it's an accurate reflection of yourself. Yeah, you never know, do you? Who might have an interest or a passion and might end up interviewing you? <laughs> Same for things like CVs when you're applying for jobs. You never you never know who might read it and find out. <laughs> Good advice. So something else people ask us about is obviously on our website when we have our grades listed is we have our standard and then we also have like minimum and adjusted grades. Um, so sometimes when we're looking at applications, a student might think that they meet some of that criteria um, so they need to tell us somehow. So Anna, I'm going to come to you because you work in kind of widening access and things. Is that something they should include in their personal statement or are they allowed to send us that information separately? How should they do it? Yeah, so for Aberdeen, um, yeah, you're welcome to discuss any kind of mitigating factors or widening access criteria within your personal statement. Um, so thinking about anything really that's had an impact on your education or personal life, for example. So you might be care experienced, you might be a young carer, so you might care for a family member, you know, you might have suffered an illness kind of through your um, school exams as well. 
please do tell us about these things because we can only help we can only make those adjustments in terms of your grades if you tell us you know we're not mind readers you can do that in your personal statement or you can certainly send you know an email to our admissions team as well if you prefer to do that but please tell us in some way um, other students might have attended a school that's maybe quite rural or quite small where you've not been able to choose the subjects that you wanted to do or you've maybe had to travel to another school to undertake those subjects which in turn can have a bit of a negative impact. Um, so just let us know about it and if you're in any doubt at all about what to include and if it's appropriate or not or how to go about that please just contact us you know we want to hear from you. And if you are submitting anything additional, then please remember to pop your UCAS ID number in that or else there's no way for us to identify who it's came from. So, yeah, absolutely include those factors um, in your personal statement or in another way so we can help. Yeah, just to come in on, on, on that point, uh, Georgie, uh, so the, Anna's very last point about, you know, communicating with the university about these issues. So I, I just to emphasize in this particular case and generally that the conversation doesn't begin and end with the UCAS form. So and I think especially if there's something that you're not sure about in terms of, oh, is this relevant or not? Or, or you know, given the person's statement is quite short, how much detail do I have to give about, you know, like a physical health issue or anything like that? Um, get in touch with the all of the universities you're applying to um, um, and ask for somebody in admissions or in recruitment to, to have a look at your question and, and, and give you an answer. So I think having that conversation before you apply, especially if it's sort of a non-standard, whatever that means, um, uh, application. And after you have applied, um, you're still, and I, so I obviously I'm Irish, right? So I didn't come from the, 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 the UK application system. The system's different in Ireland, uh, in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and I just think it's amazing that you can actually, look, I get emails directly from, so we have thousands of applicants to the degrees that I am this admission selector for, but I, correspond individually with applicants um and there's, there's not not thousands of them but applicants that have legitimate questions about entry requirements um you know they might have different uh, academic um qualifications they might have circumstances that they want us to consider etc cetera, etc cetera. and you can have that conversation directly with the people who are making the decisions on your uh, on your application uh, before and after you've submitted your ucas form yeah, that's a really good point, Jerry, because we have um, a lot of people send inquiries through our website as well, which we will all help to answer. And that includes things like, this is the grades I got in S5. What should I take in S6? Do I need advanced hires? What does Aberdeen look for? And we're really happy to help with those things, especially uh, we're recording this during lockdown or COVID still. Um, you can't see us at careers fairs and UCAS events and things. So do just send us a message and um, we'll be very happy to look at your situation for you. I think sometimes people think they can't can't ask um, and they can. They can ask us and we'll, we'll be happy to advise you and help you choose the right subjects because we don't want you to make an application and find that you could have taken the right subject and you didn't. So we're here to help you as much as we can. Um, something we also get people ask about is they want to apply to more than one subject and maybe this this isn't medicine this is someone who's interested in history but they also quite fancy a bit of philosophy and it's something that's a kind of tricky one to answer but Jerry what do you recommend if people are doing that they're applying to different courses at different universities yeah so I guess the first thing to say is that 
all of the universities know that you're applying to other universities and that you might be applying to different degree disciplines and we don't take it personally. So it's obviously weird to try and write something to five different, possibly five different institutions and maybe more than one uh, different degree subject. But we do know that that's, you know, um, uh, what you have to do. So, so if it seems that your personal statement tends to talk about two subjects or talks about it, a subject that you haven't applied to us for but is related then we'll make allowances for that um i guess uh, more generally i would say that my hope would be that there's some connection between the different subjects that you're applying to now there might there mightn't be a very direct connection in terms of the subject content but in terms of you and what it is that you, you you're good at then you i would definitely say maybe explain a little bit it, you know, in general, what it is that attracts you to those different degree disciplines. And there should be some common thing. So one example is, you know, I had this question with a student who was applying to law, but also wanted to do politics. And that's an obvious connection, right? You can definitely see why somebody interested in one would be interested in the other. And I said to her, like, well, tell, tell, you know, uh, speak about the things that, that you find interesting um, that overlap in those two subjects. If you're applying to biology and history, um, you can still do that. Um, but then it is trickier, uh, and of course, as soon uh, sometimes the other thing to bear in mind is that each institution can only see what things you've applied to for that institution, so we can't see what you've applied to in other institutions. But if you, you can always, uh, as was said earlier, it's better to be honest and open and say, "I'm applying to these two different things. You know, they both attract me for different reasons. Here's why I'd like to do that one. Here's why I'd like to do this one. I haven't necessarily made up my mind yet." I think that's fine. Like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make me think you're indecisive. It just makes me think that there's still a lot of options available to you and you're still thinking through your options. And as long as you can explain why you are interested in both of those paths, then I'm, I'm happy. And I've got a question for you, Jerry, that's just come to mind as well, is sometimes students will have taken their A-levels or their higher subjects and to me, they don't relate at all to the subject they're then applying to university. So maybe they've taken like four sciences and then they say and I want to apply for English like maybe they've just had a change of heart I mean you have to decide really early and that's difficult so how do you look at that as well I mean as long as they've got the right subjects for the degree they're applying to how does that work for you as an admissions selector? Yeah I guess I mean obviously different institutions work differently but Aberdeen because it's an ancient Scottish university and it has these four-year um, sort of degrees that even though the students might come in thinking, oh, I'm doing biology or I'm doing um, history, re -re I'm really thinking of them as, well, that person's doing a BSc and that person's doing a, a, an MA or, or an arts degree. Uh, and that means that uh, the first year is set up so that pretty much for nearly everything, except a with a few exceptions, obvious exceptions, like, you know, you need to have done maths to do maths. <laughs> Uh, and physics or, or you need to have some biology and chemistry if you want to do biomedical sciences but it, generally the idea is that any student who has who's demonstrated academic ability in their school leaving exams should be able to come to first year in Aberdeen and they should be able to follow any of the degree programs that we offer um, and, and just like you said Georgie like you know especially in the in the British system both in Scotland and in the rest of the UK students are being asked to make decisions when they're 15, 14 or 15 years old. And somebody might have thought when they were 14, they wanted to be a, a, do medicine. So that's why they focus on the sciences, but they always kept an interest in, so let's say they did hires and everything is sciences, except they've got English. I mean, obviously English is a good thing for them to do anyway. Um, but then they decide they want to do an arts degree. Then 
we're happy. I mean, obviously, if somebody came in and they had all science qualifications and they wanted to do something that was very uh, arts and humanities like, I would be worried about that and I would expect them to address that worry in their personal statement. Like by talking about their personal interest in literature or history and what they might have done outside of school um, to demonstrate their interest and knowledge in that area. Okay, great. So they should just sort of address it. You know, point say I understand that this looks a bit odd, but this is why I, I want to do something I mean, else. That's one thing I'd say in general is that like oftentimes, and I completely understand this, that applicants will say, I'll just gloss over that and hope they don't notice. But we can read. So so if it looks like you had some really poor GCSE or not five grades, um, but your your predictions for S6 are like stellarly high, then there's no harm saying, yeah, look, uh, maybe I, I, I'm more focused. I mean, obviously you have to think about how to phrase it. And that's where it's good to talk to guidance teachers and to your parents and to other people who know how to speak in the right way, um, you know, present it in a positive way. But you might say like, look, you know, back then I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, and but now I'm, I'm clearer. So I've more focus and drive and that's demonstrated in my improvement in my ac academic performance. And that actually is, is a positive rather than a negative. Great, thank you. Um, so something else people ask us about is work experience. So we've talked about how you can use the kind of part-time jobs that you have like already had that are maybe like you think are irrelevant but are not um, and how you can use those in your personal statement. But what about subjects that we actually need them to have done some work experience, something relevant to their degree? So I'm thinking medicine off the top of my head, primary education, um, law perhaps. So again, those more competitive subjects. Um, Anna, from a students you've worked with for medicine and things what do you recommend they do because not everyone has a relative who's a doctor or a lawyer or someone who can easily get them that so what what advice can you give work experience was always quite tricky to come across anyway um but the pandemic has kind of heightened that if you like with a lot of in-person opportunities being cancelled um, if you're interested in medicine, I would really strongly suggest doing some online work experience. So this is something that has launched um, last year in response to lockdown. So there's a couple of different ones you could do. Um, the Royal College of GPs have a really good online work experience tool. Um, Brighton and Sussex Medical School have got one as well, which is open to any student who's hoping to study medicine. So they're a really good starting point. You might also want to consider um, something like volunteering. So it doesn't have to be a paid job. It could be something like working, um, volunteering in a food bank, helping out in your local community, maybe helping groups um, for people with disabilities, for example. Um, you could use part-time jobs as well, um, maybe a part-time job in a care home. Or it could be anything, you know, it could be a retail job. It doesn't have to necessarily be medical related. So we don't require any clinical experience in order to study medicine. So I'd highly recommend um, the online ones as a starting point. Law, we don't require any form of work experience for. But again, there's some online options that have came on for law in response to the pandemic. Um, there's also other organisations you could look at volunteering with, um, whether that's a food bank, somewhere like the Citizens Advice Bureau, they take volunteers as well, which would be certainly very relevant to law. 
um, teaching is another one that we would potentially look for you to have some sort of understanding of a career in education. So it might be um, doing something like a buddying system in your school if you're currently in school you know helping out with younger pupils for example in you know s1 history it might be going into a local primary school if you're interested in teaching so it's really really broad what we would consider but again as what we've kind of discussed um throughout the the podcast is you know don't just list your work experience make sure you're actually reflecting on it And we'd far rather you had, you know, one period of work experience than 10 really short things that you just list. We'd far rather hear about what you've actually gained from that and how that's really kind of sparked your interest in the subject or, you know, confirmed the decision that you want to study this degree. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really important that it can be anything. I say it doesn't have to be in a surgery or something because that is so hard to get. And like I said, with the pandemic, even harder. Um, Jerry, did you want to add anything to that about other courses as well? You know, someone applying for history, do they need work experience? Uh, so so for the d- degrees that I uh, work with, which are the science and the and the uh, the arts degrees, no, we don't you don't need any work experience. Um, but again, as Anna said, uh, it's always good to talk about any experiences that you've had that might serve as evidence that you would do well um, at university, both academically and personally. Right. So, you know, independence, time management. Um, and of course, if you were involved in anything that's related to your degree subject, like if you volunteered at a local museum or worked for the National Trust or, you know, any sort of stuff that demonstrates an interest in the subject, that'll obviously help. But as Anna said, we're very aware that these sort of opportunities are hard to come by for everybody. And they're particularly hard to come by for people who don't have the sort of connections that some people have. So I think sometimes you have to be a bit more imaginative. Uh, so let's say you work for Sainsbury's, for example, like, you know, there's other other supermarkets are available, but um, you're working for a multinational corporation there. And if you're interested in IT systems or business management or legal issues, maybe have a look into what's going on. Have a chat with your manager and like about like, you know, Brexit and the import of food, interested for law. Um, how the team is stru- that you work in is structured and why it's structured that way and how HR works. Um, and the same would, would be true if you're working for a third sector organization or a small business, that if there are things you're interested in, you just need to think a bit harder about, like, is there anything here that might practically relate to some of the things that I would study, especially in the professions? Maybe not, I mean, medicine is trickier because it's a very specific health healthcare issue. But as Anna said, working in volunteering in any area that might relate to public health and that could be a huge broad area it's not just about being a gp or a surgeon or working in a hospital uh, it could just as easily be about working somewhere where you signpost people to to um council services or, or stuff like that so so yeah i think uh, again and this goes back to our initial point which is like your first job is to think about you and what you're good at and what you like and then work out how that might map onto the things that you want to, you want to study. And it's the same with the experiences you've had. Uh, of course, if you could get to work in a law practice for a month, it, 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 that's amazing, great. But most people won't get that opportunity, so they have to think a bit harder about how to demonstrate that they've experienced of what the practicalities of the profession uh, involve. Brilliant, thank you. So the last part of an application, so we've talked about the personal statement and we've talked about 
kind of applying through UCAS um, is your reference. Um, so again, for people who are um, prospective students who are at school, um, that's fairly straightforward. They would ask one of their teachers um, and their teacher would write them a reference that tells us again from the teacher's perspective a bit about that student. What if someone is not in school anymore? So um, they've left school already, they've maybe taken a gap year and then they're thinking, actually, university is what I want to do and I want to apply now. Um, Anna, can you suggest who they could speak to? Who should they ask to be their reference? Yeah, so if it's someone who's maybe had a gap year, often we find that they might go back to their school and ask them to supply a reference. Um, maybe if you're in college, you would ask one of your lecturers. Um, I don't know, Jerry. do you have any examples for people who are maybe mature students and have been out of education for slightly longer? So, so the, the, this is a tricky, a tricky case because w w when I'm looking at a reference, what I'm looking for is an academic reference. So I want somebody who uh, has the ability to make a professional judgment on the academic ability of the student or the applicant applying. Um, and also, well, it depends, like... It, whether if somebody is still studying stu something, then there'll also be predictions that the reference person who supplies the reference also supplies predicted grades. So usually when they apply to the degrees that I deal with, um, we would expect them to have had a recent academic qualification. So it, within the last, say, three to five years. And just as, as you would if you took a gap year, you would go back and ask somebody from there. To serve as a referee now obviously if you can't do that fine and a, re a character reference is better than nothing um and it's also maybe worth bearing in mind while you are still studying that you will have to come back and ask somebody to 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 serve as a referee so does anybody know you well enough to be able to, be able to do that so so yeah the short answer is if you are applying as a mature student but you haven't done any formal academic study in the last 15 years, then you shouldn't really be applying directly to us anyway. You should talk to us about what the pathways would be into, into university, but it's likely that th that pathway would involve either doing an access course or going to college and then transitioning to, to university. Um, but if you have done something more recently, and that could be anything from school to like open university courses or something like that, then go to an academic uh, for a reference. Brilliant, thank you. And I said that was the last point about applications, but actually interviews is something that we're often asked about, of course, as well. Um, so for Aberdeen, we only interview for uh, medicine, primary education, and we audition for uh, music. So any other degree, um, dentistry is slightly different because it's a very, very small cohort, um, so we won't focus on dentistry, but any other degree um, that you're applying for, we don't do interviews. So you don't need to worry about being called up to come to Aberdeen to have an interview. Um, but for medicine, um, lots of people know how that all works and they will ask us what kind of structure we use. Um, so I know, Anna, you've, you and I have both done medicine interviews. Um, do you want to just explain briefly, roughly what we do at Aberdeen? Yeah, sure. Um, so for Aberdeen, we use the MMI format for our interviews. So that's multiple mini interview. Um, and traditionally, pre-pandemic, you would come onto campus into the Sutty Centre, into our medical school, um, and you would rotate round seven different stations. So you would see seven different selectors for your interview. Um, so each station is kind of standalone um, on a specific topic. It might be communication skills, it might be team working skills, etc. 
and you're seeing a new person at each one and you've got two minutes in between so the kind of overall time would be about an hour for that in response to the pandemic we shifted everything online as did most other universities as well so we still used um, an MMI format, but it was almost kind of blended with a traditional panel interview, which sounds slightly complicated, but you were still tackling the same sort of topics as you would see in an MMI, um, but you would meet with just two selectors and you would kind of swap around for that. As soon as we know more about what will happen with restrictions, etc., um, for this year's cohort, we'll pop that on our website and we'll also inform our applicants as well. Um, but we hope to do something similar, maybe having online as well as an option, but it will just depend on the restrictions that are in place at that time. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Anna. And Jerry, I don't know if you know, or if either of you know about primary education and music. How do those two work? Um, I've only been involved in medicine, so... <laughs> So I, I don't know about primary education because it's a separate degree uh, sort of entirely from the, the arts and the social science degrees. Well, it is an arts degree, but it's just, it's standalone. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that works. But music, I think uh, the auditions happen at the beginning of the academic year or maybe just before the academic year starts. Um, so most people who are applying to do a music degree already have music qualifications, which we already discussed in relation to the saxophonist earlier. Um, and there's certain minimal um, sort of grading requirements that they would have to meet. So there's already an expectation that they have a certain level of competence uh, on their instruments or voice or whatever it is that they're doing. But um, yeah, so I think I, I think the audition isn't a make or break audition, but it's more like sort of to see where people are. Um, and in some cases, if somebody doesn't quite have uh, the competency to sort of address that and see what to do do about it. Yeah, so for I know for music they have to be a grade eight standard. Um, so you may have taken maybe grade six or seven and be performing at a grade eight standard. I know I peaked at grade six playing the flute and that was where I got to. Um, it's very respectable, Geordie. That's very respectable. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you've taken grade eight, that's quite an easy way to show us. Um, but we might be more interested in your audition if you're saying that you're grade eight standard but you haven't actually taken that exam yet so um yeah and if you are we've mentioned medicine on and off occasionally throughout this so if you are a medicine applicant we are going to have another podcast episode all about medicine um coming up in a few weeks time after this podcast so do check that one out if you are medicine specifically and we'll go into even more detail about all the complications that is medicine um anna did you want to add to that yeah i was just going to make a point that came to me earlier no matter what you're applying for, if it has an interview or an addition, whatever it is, make sure you reread your personal statement before going to the interview um, because they may well ask you questions based on that. So it's always good just to kind of refresh your memory and it might help you identify what you might get asked to expand on as well. Brilliant. Well, I think that was a lot of information. So hopefully all of our listeners listening have got some top tips for um, their personal statement and for applying to university. Um, as we've all said throughout this episode, if you have any questions, please just reach out to us. We're really happy to hear from you and to give you advice. Um, we've got an episode coming up next week on student accommodation. Um, so if you're thinking to that stage when you've received your offer and what to do next, um, listen to our podcast on accommodation. 
And we've had many podcast episodes before this one. So if you've missed any of those, you can check those out on the um, website or on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever it is you're listening to this podcast. So thank you very much to Jerry and Anna. Um, that was brilliant. And I hope our listeners enjoyed that. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Ask Aberdeen podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic we should cover, please email us at ukteam at abdn.ac.uk. We would love to hear from you. To be alerted about new episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.